0: Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Bethany Mandel, a contributing writer to Deseret News, a Fox News columnist, a homeschool mom of six, and co-author of the new book, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. Bethany, great to have you with us on the Schilling Show Unleashed.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me. I want to start here because it may be obvious, but maybe to some people, why are they targeting our youth?
1: Where I would probably start is like, who is they? Yeah. Right? It's, it's it's a difficult thing to answer because it's not like an organized sort of uh, group. It's a it's activists who have decided that there's something deeply wrong with our country and our society, and they've decided to try to fix it um, by completely reimagining what our society is supposed to look like. I think the average American is not super interested in completely upending Western civilization and redefining every basic part of it, they've decided that the most sort of open audience to that is children because they are in many ways uh, permeable in white slates and so um, and so a lot of their messaging about, anti-racism and about gender theory and uh, queer theory, all of those things um, are being mass marketed for the youngest generation.
0: You know, it's interesting to think about this, and I think it's also important as we look at the target and who might be behind it, is also when it began to manifest. When were the first signs that this was going on? Because we should be aware of how things begin.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that the metric that I use is um, the American Library Association has a list of books that are, they they call them banned books, but it's books that people come to the librarians and say, I have an issue with this book. I, I think that there's something wrong with this book, and I don't think that the library should, should carry it. Up until 2013, the top book was a book that my children own. I don't love it, <laughs> but it's called Captain Underpants by mm-hmm. um, Dave Pilkey. And there's potty humor, there's underwear humor. Like my my kids are have been running around singing about underpants yeah. as a result of this book. <laughs> and so people in you know 2013 were objecting to this book. In 2014, the the top book became uh, George by. Um, Alex Gino, and that book is, I've read it, (laughs) cover to cover celebration of transgender and gender theory, uh, written for a middle grade audience between like ages seven or eight up until um, early teens. And the book makes it sound like, you know, this is a really easy solution to change your gender. And it's, it's totally normal. It's very easy. You can just take some puberty blockers, maybe have some surgery. As long as your parents, approve of it. And and the, the way that that's phrased for children, like as long as your parents are okay mm-hmm. with it, it reminds me of the commercials when I was a kid, like tell your parents to buy you the new box of Lucky Charms. <laughs> um, it's, it's not really, you know, let your parents know. It's like pressure your parents to do this. And that's the kind of the, the language that's used um, in that book. And and the the American Library Association list is permeated with this kind of, with these kinds of books there's books on there, um, that are anti-racist that are really sort of racially charged. And there's a book on there that has been really making the rounds, uh, called gender queer. And that book is a graphic novel that is straight up pornographic. Um, there are graphic images in there depicting encounters, uh,
0: I've actually seen that book depicted and and in fact, it's my understanding that those pictures are so graphic that there are school boards across the country who refuse to allow them to be shown at a public meeting. So how could they possibly justify putting them in libraries and offering them to children? I don't understand the dichotomy
1: the The way that they kind of do it is so the book the book depicts uh, an encounter between two males. They do this a lot with their sexual Sort of messaging and, and sexualized content. They make it homosexual so that if you object, you're therefore a bigot. Mm-hmm. When the reality is, most parents don't want their children consuming sexualized content, no matter what sexual orientation is at play. I'm not interested in my children being exposed to that at all. And we see that also with the Drag Queen Story Hour. Um, no parent would bring their child to Stripper Story Hour. But if it's a drag queen, then it's okay for them to give a lap down.
0: As I go out on my morning walk and I see parents sending their kids off to the government schools, standing with them at the bus stops, I'm wondering if they're ignorant of what's going on here because it's really sad for me to see this, or if they're actually endorsing uh, this sort of um, indoctrination that's going on.
1: I, I think that most parents don't um, are not aware of the extent to which this is an issue. And this is a lot of why we wrote Stolen Youth was because uh, parents might know they they might see sort of windows into this, but they're not they're not totally tuned in on the full extent of this sort of mission, this 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 experience. Um, but I mean it, it permeates through media, through schools. And, and I think that most parents kind of like, well, my kid is going to school and they can read and write and my kid is reading, so that's good. But we would never say about poison, you know, as long as my kid is eating, who cares if it's poison? Uh, As long as my kid is going to school, who cares um, if there's like a toxic radioactive spill next door? Um, And that's in a lot of ways what's happening. Um, There is um, there's something deeply wrong with the messages that children are getting. And we're seeing the results of that in the mental health toll that um, that all of it is taking on on teenagers, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that we can pinpoint as to why teenage mental health is so bad and just getting worse. But this sort of messaging and the, their exposure to the internet is a huge, huge part of that.
0: You talk in the early part of the book, Bethany Mandel, about totalitarian examples of the past. And I think it's important for people to be aware of history. This is not new, this targeting of children. And this has happened in these totalitarian regimes. Give us an example.
1: So my co-author actually wrote that chapter. Her name is Carol Markowitz. And she is a refugee from the Soviet Union. And she she's talked for years. She's worked in politics for years. And um, she always said, you know, when people would ask her, uh, does this remind you of Soviet Russia? She would say, no, no, it doesn't. And that was like during the Clinton years and the Obama years. But now she's written an entire chapter comparing it to Soviet Russia. A lot of the fear that um, accompanies this sort of political movement is is very reminiscent of, of the Soviet era, that people are afraid to say what they think and say what they feel because everyone else is sort of going along with it. And so, um, you know, we have this, this male spokesperson for for brands like Kate Spade Mm -hmm. um, and Tampax his name is Dylan Mulvaney and no one wants to say like the emperor has no clothes no clothes like why why is there a male dressing up like a girl as as the public face of these two very female brands
0: yeah this is interesting that you bring this up I was watching television with couple of my kids the other night and there's a commercial coming on from Amazon and it's uh, showing what appears to be a young lady. And then they zoom in close on the face and there's a mustache there. And I'm looking at this going, who is this actually appealing to? Uh, There there certainly can't be public demand for this outside of a small group. Uh, So, so what's going on here with the, with the corporations?
1: They are, um, they're in, in major cities, Los Angeles and New York. And a lot of them are not familiar with the customer base. And so, um, you know, one of my favorite examples is Target, when they announced that they would have gender-neutral bathrooms. Most of America, especially women and moms who are the primary customers at Target, are uninterested in sharing a bathroom with a male. Mm -hmm. And they were sort of taken aback because they've never considered that anyone might hold views outside of their own. And that if they do so, then they must be bigoted. Um, and so we've, we've seen a lot of corporations sort of step on the rake in this way. Um, Bud Light is the newest one. Um, Hershey's is another one. Jeremy Boring of The Daily Wire, who published our book, um, started something called Jeremy's Chocolates, and he's sold uh, an astronomical sum of candy uh, over the course of the last few weeks since Hershey's sort of announced a transgender campaign and it sends a message. It sends a message that Americans are uninterested in, um, in partaking in corporations that, um, that sort of talk down to them this way and, and try to use their brand as a way to impart their values.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Target example, because I remember it well. And I remember saying to myself, I'm never going to set foot in Target again. And mostly I haven't. I've been back over there maybe once or twice to pick up a prescription. But I think a lot of people just forgot about that. And I don't know that Target has necessarily reversed that policy. I don't remember exactly what happened initially. I know there was a blowback on the stock price. But are these corporations learning a lesson? or Are they just eating profits and letting it go with that?
1: From my understanding of Target, what ended up happening was they walked it back and they decided to have a male, women, and gender-neutral bathroom. And the gender-neutral bathroom is basically just a family bathroom, um, and it's a single it's a single stall facility. And so it cost the corporation a lot of money to install that, and then uh, they they took a hit in their profits for a while because the the Target example I think is is pretty unique in that you know when Hershey's did a brand ambassador. With transgender messaging, people were kind of mad, and so they stopped buying her. They would stop buying Hershey's, and the same with Bud Light. But in the case of Target, people felt like if I'm shopping and I have to go to the bathroom, I don't feel safe. Or if I'm with my child, I don't feel safe letting my child go into the bathroom alone. And so that introduction of a safety concern, I think, really was incredibly uh, damaging for Target because people felt like they couldn't basically go to the bathroom within the
0: stores. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Bethany Manuel. We continue in just a moment. Join the revolution online at shillingshow.com.
2: Looking out for us, Rob Schraub.
0: Bethany Mandel is our guest on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. The new book is Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. We've been talking about institutions and corporations, but I want to go to the big one, which is Disney. I remember growing up on Disney and thinking this was the epitome of wholesomeness. And look yeah. at Disney now. It's 180 degrees. In fact, it just appears demonic if you look at what they're doing. So. What happened to Disney?
1: A lot of what you we were talking about in the previous segment, they, they have uh, a creative team who are entrenched in this sort of woke ideology, and they've decided that it is their imperative that they have to teach children to not be bigoted like their parents and their grandparents. And, and so they um, are sure to introduce a lot of uh, sort of gender content within the, the programming that they're doing for children. I haven't seen people kind of stop going to Disney uh, Disney world and Disneyland because outside of sort of some of the gift shops where there's sort of rainbows and and that kind of thing, which I mean, rainbows are pretty and nice and children like rainbows and they don't know the connotation. There's not much in the parks that is off putting outside of the price,
2: which is astronomical.
1: But on the content side, What ends up happening is that it's just not good anymore outside of the indoctrination. When you have so much focus on inclusion and diversity and yada, yada, making sure to never offend anyone, the quality of the product is going to suffer because your top priority isn't putting out the best programming, the best entertainment that you possibly can. It's making sure not to offend anyone. And you you have to sort of put on your thinking cap as a sensitivity reader, which exists and sensitivity viewers and make sure that there's nothing that could possibly offend. There was an interesting quote from Jennifer Aniston recently, and she said, you know, friends would not exist now. If, If we were to create friends now, it would not look the same because people are always so offended.
0: You know, it's remarkable how things have changed in such a short period of time. And I want to go to the area of uh, scholastic book publishing and so forth and see attacks on people like Dr. Seuss, uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, Roald Dahl, whose books have been modified. I'm concerned that this goes so far as that the original versions just get forgotten generationally or eradicated. And we don't even know that we're being indoctrinated like this.
1: It's funny that the, that the left call us book banners for not wanting pornography in the schools because we're not saying don't publish genderqueer. We're just saying don't put it in a school library and don't put it in a public library. With Dr. Seuss, so the people who run the Seuss Enterprises are not his family. They're just people who have a job at Seuss Enterprises. And they don't have an attachment to him and his legacy in any way. And they decided uh, about a year and a half ago that some of the illustrations in some of his books were too problematic, and so they they took them off the market. But they didn't just they didn't just stop printing them. But they were removed from Amazon. They were removed from old, used book sites, and it's literally impossible to get these books now. Those books are banned. It is impossible to get. So I saw it on Mulberry Street, which is an absolute classic in, in the Seuss canon. And I'm so glad we, we owned an anthology of Seuss stories and Mulberry Street story is within it. And it's funny, that book is the most valuable thing that my children own now because it's not printed anymore. It's really disturbing to see the attack on actually good literature because not only are they not putting out good content anymore, but now they're also... Uh, now they're also attacking not just Roald Dahl and not just Dr. Seuss, but also, I mean, it's literally every week we hear of another author who's who's having this, um, Agatha Christie, R.L. Stein, um, And the ones that are alive, like R.L. Stein, they're furious. They, they say, I, I in no way gave permission. You can't put my name on this if you've changed it in this way. In the case of Roald Dahl, the outrage actually made Penguin... Walk it back. That's what we need to do. We need to keep up the the anger at these publishing houses who dare to have these half-rate writers daring to rewrite the words of some of uh, English language's best writers.
0: I want to go now to the topic of woke medicine and the politicization of medicine as you cover in the book. This is something I never thought I'd see because you would always have the Hippocratic oath and that would be the forefront of medical treatment, but it's all changed, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, no, I mean that, that to me was probably the most disturbing chapter to write because in a lot of ways we can escape sort of this, this influence in our children's lives. Um, You know, in my family, we homeschool, my kids watch old movies and old, old television shows mm-hmm. and read old books. Um, and so it, it's pretty escapable. But in the case of, of wolf medicine, my kids still have to go to the pediatrician. And, uh, you know, my pediatrician, I have friends who have older children. The pediatrician has asked them what their gender identity is and how and who they're sexually attracted to mm. um, at a pretty, pretty young age. Not that it's their business, no matter what age it is. This is not just sort of an issue for individual children um, going to the pediatrician, but it also impacts innovation and patient care throughout sort of medicine. And the end result is, it's a chapter that's hard to distill in two minutes. The end result is the care that our children and all of us honestly get will be severely impacted because on the part of literally everyone in the medical establishment, the focus Again, I mean, similar to the entertainment industry, um, the focus isn't optimal patient care, but making sure that they're checking all the right boxes when it comes to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: It's absolutely true. And this has gone so far as to, I would call it, medical experimentation on par with what the Nazis were doing uh, back in the 30s and 40s with gender-affirming so-called surgeries and other sorts of treatments. I mean, this is nothing less than medical experimentation on children. I don't understand how we could live in a country where we're allowing minors to have these surgeries and treatments.
1: So I I would argue that the bigger issue is probably the hormonal treatments Mm -hmm. because very few children are are, um, surgically being transitioned. But the message being sent to families is that it's just a pill. It's just a, a hormone implant in their arm. Um, it's not a big deal. And this was the message that was sent in the children's book about transgender. And I, I referenced earlier called George or Melissa, depending on when it was published, because they're even altering their own work. They sort of message it as it's just a pill. Um, but the reality is these hormones are really powerful and we don't know what it will do to developing bodies, but we, we have a little bit of a window because these drugs have been used um, in other ways in the past. And it. It can cause um, osteoporosis so severe that um, if you're chewing something really hard, your jaw can shatter, (laughs) like Mm. really profound osteoporosis where your bones are just incredibly brittle and it can lead to infertility. Um, There's uh, a wonderful publication that's run by Barry Weiss, who used to work at The New York Times and who quit because of the, the way that the paper was run. And she runs a a publication called The Free Press. And yesterday, Emily Yaffe wrote a a really troubling and must-read investigation into a continuing investigation into a St. Louis gender clinic. And one of the children, the mother came forward and said, like, we were pressured into this. and, And the gender treatments were incredibly damaging for my child. And she sort of listed the ways. Um, He became suicidal. He gained 40 pounds. He, He had a lot of mental health struggles dealing with these strong hormones that are still being pumped into him. And the clinic didn't listen. And the clinic kept on pushing it and pressured the family. This is happening more and more. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is that Planned Parenthood, in addition to killing a future generation, is also poisoning a future generation by making all of these hormones readily available without much in the way of screening.
0: You conclude the book with a very important chapter and it's about how to get your kids out. And it's a big subject, but if you had to start somewhere for people who want to get their kids out, you and I are both homeschool families. So we've, we've taken the, the first step, but what is it that people can do and where do they start?
1: So I I think that people need to sort of, they need to pay attention and they need to be cognizant of what is being sold to their children. And, um, and you know, that, that was why we wrote the book in the first place. I would argue, uh, unfortunately the hardest step is the most important step and it's getting your children out of the government run school.
0: Yes. Bethany Mandel, if people would like to get a copy of the book, stolen youth, or if they would like to follow your work online, tell us the best way they can do that.
1: I am on Instagram and Twitter at Bethany Shondark. And the book is available at Barnes Noble and Amazon.
0: Bethany Mandel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. You've done a terrific job with Stolen Youth, and I hope everyone gets a copy and reads it.
1: Thank you so much. That
0: concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time...